Ulterior. Tonight, for me at least, is about celebrating all the facets of what punk music actually represents. All the things it wasn't allowed to be when we were young. So that was an excerpt from Haley Williams posted on social media right before When We Were Young Fest, which happened this past weekend. And there is a lot to cover, a lot that I could say about When We Were Young, and that is having not even been there in Vegas for any of what went down. Um... I remember back in January when this festival was announced, I was very skeptical of the validity of the entire concept, how it would be pulled off, the logistical side of everything. It just didn't make any sense to me. And I remember the episode of this podcast where I talked about when we were young for the first time, I named the episode When We Were Fire because of the clear comparison that was so easy to make between When We Were Young and Firefest. I am very happy to know that when done well, when we were young is fucking awesome. And I really want to emphasize that when it's done well. Because there were two dates for when we were young this past weekend, Saturday and Sunday. I will never ever in my life forget where I was Saturday afternoon scrolling Twitter and Instagram and Discord and TikTok and learning that an hour or 50 minutes prior to gate opening for when we were young, the thing was canceled. People had planned this shit for months and they traveled, and they flew, and they booked hotels, and they centered days off and whatever else around this festival, and you were in line Saturday expecting to see My Chemical Romance, Paramore, Bring Me the Horizon, and just a, a, a plethora of other bands that have been staples of this scene for the last 10 to 15 to 20 years. And it's just gone. I was in a Forever 21 when I saw the post by Winry Young's Instagram account detailing how they had to make the decision to cancel the show because of strong winds and the safety of bands and uh, attendees and everything else like that. I, I froze. I couldn't fucking believe it. And again, I'm not even there. This shit has no bearing on my life, but it felt like in that moment it did. And I just, I felt immensely bad for the bands, the fans, everybody who was getting fucked over by this decision. And it was the right decision. What I don't agree with was waiting until like literally people are in line to make this decision when any forecast for Vegas that whole week showed the potential of very chaotic winds per se. So I thought that was pretty bitchless. And I, I We'll give the uh, the organizers of the festival a hard time for that in that regard. Obviously, they don't control the weather. That portion is not their fault. A good enough notice of time ahead of this festival's date on Saturday would have been courteous. And then what's fucking insane to think about is 
Saturday was just as chaotic to follow on social media as Sunday, and Sunday was when the actual festival fucking happened. So after the date Saturday was canceled, I started seeing on Twitter bands attempting to book last minute shows and fans looking just for any shows to go to. I was in contact with my boy Mauricio the whole day because he was meant to be at Saturday's When We Were Young date. And I was just like, hey, Hawthorne Heights this, Census Fail that, Wonder Years that, just like trying to relay any information about what could be happening because nobody fucking knew anything. It was so hectic and chaotic. And I was just a, like an onlooker on social media. I couldn't imagine actually being there in Vegas trying to navigate, you know, rumors and hearsay and just try and find a fucking show to go to to make up for this shambolic day. The scene was the center of attention in Las Vegas. Like, that is how fucking crazy When We Were Young was and the just catastrophic aftermath of canceling the show that day. You have a, a sea of emos just roaming around, fiending in Las Vegas, trying to find something to do. That is crazy as fuck to think about, and I wish I was there. I genuinely would have loved to have just been in that atmosphere and soak in that energy and just be running around everywhere trying to understand, like, what is happening and where do I go from here? The quote-unquote headliner for the lack of a When We Were Young date Saturday ended up being a secret Bring Me the Horizon show, and they took Knocked Loose and Landon Barker with them, and I I don't want to say that if I was there Saturday, that show would have made up for it, because it definitely wouldn't have, but a full Bring Me the Horizon set where they are also playing Diamonds Aren't Forever is as comforting of a band-aid as I could have personally asked for had I been a part of all that in Vegas. So that was Saturday. Sunday comes around and When We Were Young actually happens. And seeing on social media people showing up and walking around the pink carpet, pink grass, whatever the fuck it was, and seeing the checkerboard sign When We Were Young and actually seeing the stages and the bands and I'm like this is real like this really fucking happened they actually pulled off when we were young and that is still kind of hard for me to wrap my head around and the whole time pretty much that I'm seeing all of these videos and pictures on social media obviously there is like an incredible a level of FOMO going on but for the most part I felt so inspired in a weird way because, again, it felt like, for just a moment in time, our scene was the center of attention. And the amount of things happening at this festival that, had I been there, I would have just completely lost my shit for is insane. Um, you know, if you saw Pierce the that day, you got King for a Day with Kellen Quinn, and they showed up on stage in their fucking music video getup. Like, that was crazy. My Chemical Romance kind of taking the piss out of the whole concept of when we were young with the three cheers for Sweet Revenge outfits and the, um, the whole old man aesthetic and playing only old hits and no foundations of decay. Like, that is kind of beast. And then motherfucking Paramore. Open their set with All I Wanted. All I fucking wanted. First time ever live, maybe the only time ever live, Haley Williams fucking knocked those high notes out of the fucking field. That shit was insane. I go back and watch videos of All I Wanted's performance and it is the most cathartic thing I, I could have imagined happening at when we were young. 
And it's fucking crazy to think about like how polar opposite Saturday was from Sunday because Sunday was a nightmare realized for every concert goer that day. And then if you were there Sunday, you had an experience that you are never going to forget. I won't even forget this shit. And I wasn't even fucking there. When we were young, worked. I can't believe it worked, but I am so goddamn happy that it did. And in the process of coming down from when we were young's high, I resume normal life. And normal life for me consists of reviewing the latest singles and records out of this weird-ass scene that I adore with all my fucking fucked-up heart. So we got brand new singles by the likes of Foreign Hands, Action Adventure, Paris, Gatherers, The Use, and a few others, and then brand new records by A Marionette, Blackville Brides, Nerve, Pink Shift, and Architects. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy this episode. So as I said before, I do want to use this little brief moment between the intro song and the singles rundown to kind of just briefly mention anything in pop culture or entertainment or whatever realm all of that exists in that caught my attention and I want to talk about. There was a Silent Hill 2 remake confirmed and that is major for myself because I am a giant Silent Hill merchant at least from 1 through... I was going to say 3, but you know what? I'll fuck with 4. I'll fuck with the room. Uh, Silent Hill 2 is generational. I think potentially it might be the greatest survival horror game of all time. So very, very exciting to get a remake of it in this day and age. The World Series is set. It is the Astros against the Phillies. And that is going to be kind of exciting, I guess. I'm not really big into baseball, but around World Series time, I do become a little bit of a merchant. And considering that the Astros are in this year, it's kind of hard to not hear about it anywhere in Texas. The NBA is back, and the Lakers are potentially my favorite team of all time. Like, specifically, this incarnation of the Lakers, because every time I see them on social media, it is, for some bullshit reason, Westbrook pulling up and taking shots he don't need to. It is shambolic, but it is like a fun shambolic. I'm really, really, really entertained by the Lakers right now. And for the last story this week, Adidas has ended their relationship with Kanye West following anti-Semitic remarks made by Kanye. Um, as a result of the ending of the relationship, the production and sales of Yeezy branded products will stop as well as payments made to Kanye and his companies. Uh, this is a financial burden on all parties because Adidas will take roughly a $246 million hit in the fourth quarter sales this year. And I believe Kanye West is only or his net worth is only around around like 400 million now compared to the 2 billion that it was prior to all this happening um if there's anything to take away from this just don't be fucking anti-semitic don't be a fucking dickhead um it's it's disappointing by kanye but it's also not surprising because dude has a history of just saying and doing some really 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 dumbass shit it doesn't matter how generational the music is guy is out there like really really out there and it's not fun to watch it's really not 
So that was everything for the news, and combining this portion with the When We Were Young recap, I've taken more time than I probably should have to get to the new singles, the first of which is the brand new single by Four in Hands called Tearing Down Your Reality. This band has necks, like for real, for real, and it's crazy how everything is falling into place for them this year because they had the Bleed the Dream EP out back at the start of the year, and then they are now on Sharp Tone. They have technically a a new EP out, but it's just the prior single, Chlorine Tears, along with this new single, Tearing Down Your Reality. They are opening for Counterparts as part of that lineup, along with Dying Wish and Sea Space Cowboy out in November and December. Everything is coming up for foreign hands, and I'm fucking here for it. This band is amazing. I think it's so cool, like, not only how many bands are doing this throwback post-hardcore style, but how many are doing it well, and doing it to the extent of an act like foreign hands. Like, I want to put them in that echelon with Static Dress and City Space Cowboy just off of the material this year alone. They do everything possible to satisfy that urge within me to have, like, this nostalgia struck while still pushing the genre forward and i think that's exactly what foreign hands have been able to do they're paying homage while moving everything into a very hopeful and positive direction into the future the song is heavy it's emotional uh the screams and the cleans all hit so immensely fucking well foreign hands got that dog in them and i need more eyes and ears on this project in the future and i need more material from them very very soon there was a brand new action adventure single titled carolina reaper This is the third single for the record, Imposter Syndrome, out on November 11th via Pure Noise Records. And I have detailed Action Adventure on this podcast before. I do remember reviewing the EP Pulling Focus last year. Um, it, it was part of those episodes, though, where I was reviewing, like, literally everything. So that particular episode was probably, like, two hours, three hours long. It was really, really bad for me to sit there that long and talk about music and edit the show and whatever else. So, not many great memories attached to that EP, but I do remember the material on there was very solid. Um, Action Adventure going into Imposter Syndrome, though, uh, a new level, it feels like. Uh, their two prior singles, Levity and 3818, were very solid. Carolina Reaper, though? Yo, this song is making some fucking points, like, for real, for real. Um, I really admire how it's pop punk with this added element of, like, aggression and attitude, and it kind of makes action adventure stand out from some of their contemporaries in my opinion because they're able to maintain those little bits i just mentioned while still being catchy while still being accessible and while still leaving this mark on my brain that is not going to allow me to overlook this band and their upcoming record when it comes to you know the potential of year-end awards and all that shit because right now is a point in the year where i need to kind of devote time and attention to just the projects who I believe have a real shot at impacting the flow of this podcast in December. And there's a part of me that wants to see Action Adventure might, they might be them for that case. Paris do be back. 
They do be on Hopeless Records for some reason. And they do have two new singles out. One of them I will be detailing right here. It is called Anywhere But Here. Fucking Paris, bro. Like... Paris is the band who, anytime they do something, I, like, will drop whatever is happening currently in my life and dedicate every bit of time and attention to just Paris because they've been there for me. Like, in so many steps of the way since White Noise back in 2014, if nobody got me, I know Paris got me, and Paris got me with Anywhere But Here. They're also the kind of band who, like, can switch up their style and sound so effortlessly, and they never lose any of their intangibles. They're always Paris no matter what. So with Anywhere But Here, you kind of start off with this like really, um, like really fun, quirky, acoustic melody, and the way that Lynn's voice accompanies that melody is so enchanting and soothing, and it's everything that I could have possibly wanted from that woman. She is sensational, to say the least. And then Anywhere But Here kind of ramps itself up in intensity in a way that is not actually intense. It still fits into that soothing, chill vibe going for this track. It just kind of like picks up the pace, picks up the attitude a little bit without, again, really being overtly intense. And I think that is such a, um, a, a testament to the strong songwriting abilities and the production on the part of Paris and... This is an amazing song. I really, really cannot wait to hear more from this act in 2023. And hopefully that brings forth a brand new album because that would follow the every three year trajectory that they've been on since White Noise. There is a brand new Gatherer single. It is called Suffocator and it features Dan Lampton, formerly of Real Friends. It's always great to get Dan on a track, and it's also always great to get Gatherer's material because this band is unstoppable, to say the least. This single comes from Mutilator, which is their new record out on November 18th, and this is a, an incredible singles run that they've been on, and it's not a surprise, but I still just wanted to note that in case there's anybody out there who is still sleeping on Gatherer's for whatever fucking reason that might be. Um, so with this track, it kind of has a a little bit of a different tone to it in some regards, especially just comparative to Gift Horse and Black Marigold, the other two prior singles for Mutilator. Suffocators kind of has a bit more of a streamlined structure to it. And something that I admire so much about the song is how gatherers are able to keep all of their intangible elements in this track here that were present in everything else they did prior. So all of that, like, dark brooding chaos it is still um just oozing out of this song without it being so heavy they're able to channel that aggression into a different style and i think that's really really fucking sick the final single that i'll be going in detail on comes from the use and it is called fuck you
there are never a ton of opportunities for me to talk about the use on this podcast, and that's a real shame because if you don't know me on a personal level, then I am somewhat of like a hidden used merchant. The used are one of the most important bands in the scene. That's a given. They're one of the most important bands that I've ever come across. Like their material just strikes me on a real personal level. I have a tattoo on my left hand that has a, a heart hanging from a tree, and there are four records that influence that tattoo design, one of them being in love and death. They're just so fucking goaded, and I feel like Fuck You is a great step into whatever direction is going to be a part of the used catalog come 2023. I think it's very catchy and quirky and fun. The core sounds massive, and just like this really uh, enchanting production element is mixed into everything. Burma Kraken is still an amazing vocalist after all this time, and he is able to um, kind of like match his tone of voice alongside that quirky nature of the instrumentation I just mentioned. Everything about Fuck You just comes together immaculately well, in my opinion. And again, this is an amazing look at what we could and hopefully will be getting from the use in 2023. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Fluorescent by Floya, No Heaven by For The Falling Dreams, Overthinking by Hollow City, Groundhog Day by Nokopuck, Bomb Squad by Ellis Dunes, Lullaby, Night Shift, Nothing Good Happens After 2am, and Star by Mothico. Those are all off of the Nocturnal Deluxe. Modified by Never Tell, Supernova by Nick D featuring Loveless, Area PD by Pale Dusk, Reason by Pennyboard featuring Carlo, Animal by Paris, Happiness for Dummies by Roland Serpent, why Do I by Set Off featuring Hatsune Miku, Hell 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 by Void Division, and Mix Emotions, I Don't Know How to Tell You What I Was Going Through by Yumi at 6. There were two songs I gave a 3 out of 5 to, Place Your Debts by Jimmy World, which I typed out as Plaque Your Debts. Um, I just don't really, really fuck with what Jimmy World are doing now and what they've been doing for a minute. Um, they're nostalgic, and that's fine. It is what it is. And then there was Two Taker by Nathan James. So Nathan James had a, or he had a few songs last year that kind of exist in that MGK, Travis Barker, pop punk kind of a, of a landscape. And I thought that was where he was at his best. Two Taker is a little bit of like a new metalcore sound, and I, I don't really fuck with it. It's kind of just whatever to me. So now I'm going to move on to the record reviews, and I'm going to start with the one that was actually my favorite of this bunch, Gemini by A Marionette. A marionette is an interesting case because I feel like they kind of have this uh almost like a veteran sort of a swagger to them. I hate that fucking word, but I couldn't think of anything else to say. Um, yet I don't feel like they've really, really been around an extensively long time. Like their material kind of uh or at least the quality of it uh surpasses any preconceived notions one might have about them because of just how experienced they sound, especially in this area of like math rock slash swan core slash post hardcore, whatever you want to call what they're doing. Their prior projects like uh, the EP Amvery and then their two full lengths, Evolution and Sunset on This Generation, they are masterclasses in whatever genre it is that a marionette are navigating. I remember Sunset on This Generation dropping in July 2020, so this is still like, you know, relatively early into the pandemic and there wasn't a lot to do so just fucking listen to music and i listened to that record a ton it didn't make my top 12 records that year but it was very very close 
And there's a song in there called Forgot About Sad Dre. The best Amarionette song I've ever heard. That, that track is fucking sensational, guys. However, this review is not about past Amarionette material. We're looking at what the band is doing currently. And I feel like the lead single for Gemini, Simple, it was the perfect way to begin this rollout. Simple immediately blew me away. It's like kind of fast paced while still um, being like spacious enough for you to appreciate all of the intricate details to a marionette and what makes them such a unique outfit. Continuing the singles rollout thereafter, Rescue Me continued the trend of a marionette and their ability to craft some of the coolest sounding bangers in the entire scene. Like, there is no band that sounds like a marionette. They're not the only band within their genre, like that's pretty clear, but as far as being able to take these sounds and relay them to listeners in this grandiose manner, I can't think of anybody else that's doing that as, as well as a marionette. Peaches has this slightly slower and more tame style for what a marionette usually do, but it still brings forth every concept of theirs that I need to hear within their material to like be fulfilled with everything that they uh, again bring forth. The single Criminal has this massive production to it and a chorus that lets Issy showcase some of his brightest moments on the mic. Like, Issy is vastly overlooked, vastly underrated in my opinion. This guy is fucking incredible at what he does and it's so hard to imagine a marionette having the like upward trajectory for their or the quality of their material if Issy wasn't fronting them. And then the last single moving on has some of the best hand-in-hand -hand moments on the record when it comes to like um harmonizing the instrumentation with Issy's performance. So the way that, you know, the instrumentation and his specific delivery just work uh, like right alongside each other. I, I think moving on is one of the best showcases of that and that in turn is one of the selling points in a marionette and it's one of the things that i don't believe anybody who listens to a marionette cannot recognize and idolize and then getting into the rest of the material the songs here at large are undeniable i think it's impossible to hear something like monster and not have every element of this band strike you in your heart through some urge that you need to have satisfied from seed music I do want to single out two songs that come in the closing stretch of the record. You're Not Alone has this amazing chorus that inputs all of these little details like bass notes that sound like they're holding on to every one of Issy's words, and then these faint guitar notes that give off almost an like electronic futuristic vibe. It's a little bit weird to explain, but um, it's like this... Uh... So just kind of like a, a tangent, a side note. One of my favorite video games when I was younger, and still to this day, uh, is Crash Team Racing. And there is a, a track on there, or a stage, called Engine Labs. And the song used in the backing track, it has like this, like, um... Okay, I don't really know how to explain it other than making the sounds, but these, like, little electronic notes that go like... Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do on some fucking Mr. Krabs Electric Zoo type shit. And I can hear that within You're Not Alone, and I think that might be a reason why this song, it, it was so easy for me to gravitate to it. And then there is Beauty of the Masquerade, which is the closing song, and this might be the premier work of the album. It takes the ideas and concepts established on Gemini and gives them this almost cumulative sounding piece that is like somehow just a bit slower than anything else on the album, yet it feels like it might be the best showcase possible for Marionette in the act of closing out this incredible body of work that I will not be casting to the side anytime soon. A marionette put everything into Gemini, and 
it paid off fucking immensely. I gave this a 9.5 because I didn't really know, like, if I had reached my full, uh, like, peak appreciation for Gemini, and it's bordering a 10 now. This record is phenomenal. There's not, uh, like, a fault point or a falling off point at uh, I can signify in any stretch of the album. These songs deliver. Um, if you're after this kind of a sound, you're going to get it fulfilled tenfold through Gemini. If you have no idea who a marionette are and you're wondering what the fuck I'm you know, waffling about, Gemini is going to sell you on this act. I, I don't see how that's not possible. These are some of the most complex yet um, massive sounding songs of the year for the scene. And if you're not on board with a marionette and Gemini, fucking get on it now, dog. Like, seriously. We have a brand new EP out by Blackville Brides. It is The Morning. There is a lot, like a fucking fuck ton. That can be said about Blackville Brides and the trajectory of this band and where they came from, where they've been, where it looks like they're going. It, it could honestly be its own episode. Like, genuinely, there is such this extensive history to Blackville Brides, and I have kind of been there from the start. At least, I, I think it was a start. So, I remember around 2009 into 2010, the music video for Knives and Pens just kept showing up in my recommendeds on YouTube just every fucking day, and I couldn't get away from it, and finally I was like, you know what, fuck it, let me hear this thing, let me see what this is about. And what I ended up getting at that point in time through Knives and Pens, the original version, not the We Sixties Wounds mixed one, I got what I still believe is the best Blackville Bride song ever made. OG Knives and Pens is fucking tremendous. It is generational. And having heard that song, it was as if like this whole new world opened and I was like, yo, Blackville Brides, they got next. And in a, or, or from a success standpoint and a financial standpoint and just all that shit, yes, Blackville Brides did have next. From a quality standpoint, that is entirely subjective, and you could ask 100 people, and you'd get 100 different answers. 100 people that are educated and knowledgeable about the history of Blackwell Brides, for that matter. I think for myself, it's very much so been fluctuating ever since Rection Divine, which was one of my favorite records of 2013. Um, I do not think that Self-Titled and Veil and The Phantom Tomorrow have many standouts, and if there are some standouts, they're not... Um, like, they didn't stand the test of time, I guess. At least not in the way that songs like In The End and Knives and Pens did. And I feel like a statement like that kind of asserts my surprising stance on the lead single for this EP, Savior 2. And I reviewed Savior 2 a couple of weeks ago. I forgot exactly when it dropped, but it was pretty recent. And I don't know if I said this in that review, but I'm saying it here. Savior 2 is my favorite Blackwell Bride song since In The End, so that is almost a 10-year a, a stretch. Like, I think it actually might be, like, exactly 10 years, or somewhere around the exact 10-year mark, because I remember, somebody correct me on this if I'm wrong, um, In The End was, like, first kind of put out into the world because it was a theme song for Hell in a Cell in 2012. Like, I really feel like that was the first time I ever came across in the end, and then it was a music video shortly thereafter. Again, I could be wrong, but that's kind of what the what the timeline looks like in my memory. Savior 2 is the sequel to a song, Office at the World on Fire, and 
to get a sequel 11 years later is kind of fucking sick and for the song to be as good as it is is just this added layer of um sensationalism on the part of black girl brides i guess and that's a big deal to me because i don't associate sensationalism with black girl brides recent stuff uh savior 2 it's this like acoustic song or a primarily acoustic song and then you go into the chorus and it explodes instrumentally um lyrically savior 2 is everything that i needed to hear when i heard it for the first time so i'm trying my hardest to be what you made like a court jester my smile won't fade giving it all rising to fall to my grave answer the call living in thrall you're the one born to save just genuinely beautiful and looking at the package for the morning and the four songs present here Savior 2 is the easiest standout because it's the one song that doesn't really follow that standard Blackville Brides mold. And I say standard mold in a way that is kind of surprising to myself because when I hear Blackville Brides standard mold, or I at least think of that, I imagine this radio rock song that is probably going to go in one ear and out the other. Yet with the songs here on The Morning, they hit in a really, really big and positive way. So the opening song, Devil, it has like the standard chorus of Blackfell Brides complete with the crowd harmony voices thrown in, and there's really nothing unique about this song. There's not really a ton that sets it apart from the other material outside of how good it sounds. Like, I am genuinely shocked at how much I fucking love Devil, given how it's really not that different from what this band normally does. It's not this um deviation of any kind of a formula. It's still formulaic, but it's also just good, and I can't complain if it's just good. Then there is the song, The Revival, and I'll say this now, the chorus on The Revival. Holy fucking fucking fuck shit, guys. That is a massive-ass chorus. That thing is insane. And I think something that it achieves is putting on display just how far Andy has come as a vocalist. Because I think Andy has always been good. Andy has always had the exact voice for Blackville Brides that they're looking at, or looking for, rather. And he kind of just is able to show off like why he has been able to be a big part of why Blackville Brides uh, have ascended to the ranks that they have. Shout out to a fellow deep voice merchant. I have actually been told before that my voice sounds like Andy's. I, I don't really think it does. I think deep voices kind of just get intertwined with each other and they all sound the same to people who don't have one. And then the EP closes with Better Angels, which is, in my opinion the least noteworthy song on the ep but it's also still like a really really good song there's nothing really for me to complain about better angels i think you know it doesn't have the beautiful nature of savior 2 or the ferocity and catchiness of devil in the revival but it still is able to kind of stand amongst the uh more recent discography on the part of blackville brides i think above all else the morning is hopeful it does make me very optimistic about a future Black Veil Brides album. The only thing that uh, I'm kind of hesitant to like come to grips with when it comes to that optimism about this act is that this is just four songs. If you were to give me like a 12 song morning album, I do not know if Black Veil Brides can maintain that energy for 12 songs. They can definitely do it for four, but you know, it's a totally different game for a full album. But again, the morning does make me hopeful and in a way anticipatory of the next full length by Blackfell Brides. And I would like to think that it can do the same for anybody else. Here are my thoughts on Love Me Forever by Pink Shift. Totally fine, I wasn't 
So there are maybe some ulterior lore bits and pieces for Pink Shift that I should just mention before I get into the actual review of the material here. Pink Shift was one of the, if not the first band ever reviewed for a record on this show. Um, their EP, Sakurin, had dropped April 2nd, 2021. So it was with, um, I believe, Notions and Upon the Water. I think those were the bands that I talked about that same episode as Pink Shift. So they, like, they're OGs for Ulterior. At the same time, admittedly, I don't think I was paying as close attention to the singles rollout for Love Me Forever as I could have, because I know I talked about some of the songs here, like, uh, Nothing in My Head, I'm Not Crying, You're Crying, but after that, Get Out and In a Breath, I have little recollection of. And that is definitely shambolic on my end, because those songs deliver everything on Love Me Forever hits in some regard. I think some more than others, and then there are some songs that I kind of did have to revisit on this album to remember exactly what kind of intricate details were sticking out to me. I think just to briefly return back to the singles that I had mentioned beforehand, Nothing in My Head has attitude and a very, very infectious chorus that gives the listener a proper taste of what's to come on the record. I'm Not Crying, You're Crying does much of the same, and with that being the opener, I feel like the listener is... Whether they're familiar with Pink Shift or not, thrown in immediately without much room to swim and learn the waters that surround them. You're instantly met with the aforementioned aggression and punk nature to Pink Shift's brand of the genre, and I think that is just fucking excellent. Um, some of the things that stuck out to me were the riffs, and that's kind of a, maybe a bit of a weird thing to note as like a strong suit for what is largely a punk rock record, but it was something that just kind of like, you know, once it was in my head, I couldn't remove it, and the riffs just stand out in the most grandiose way possible. Um, the song Get Out has a really recognizable and chaotic sounding riff that adds to its tone, and I feel like you can uh, lace that theme throughout much of the record here. Um, like, it's amplified on songs like Cherry, The Kids Aren't Alright, and Burn the Witch. Like, you know, uh, mixing that kind of aggression with this punk style, the record gets to a point where... A lot of these songs, to me, sound like they could have been right at home on the soundtracks for mid-2000s video games like Tony Hawk and SmackDown vs. Raw or, or Burnout, just to give a few examples. Um, there is a song on here called Cinderella that acts as the variety point for the album, since that song has like a bit of a slower build to it than everything else on Love Me Forever. But I think that works to the advantage of Cinderella because it gives it its own identity and character and it feels like it exists in its own world on the album without deviating from the sound and what makes Pink Shift a very much so like a can't miss act right now in the scene. What Love Me Forever did more than anything else was put Pink Shift on a pedestal and just kind of made me kick myself forever like overlooking the band, which I truly, truly did do. And, you know, I, I fucked up on that end. I do need to spend more time with this record, and doing in doing so, I believe that my favorable opinion on Love Me Forever will only grow in a more positive direction. This is a record that, you know, has the chance to really showcase some true staying power with myself, and for that reason, I cannot suggest Pink Shift's Love Me Forever enough to all of you guys. 
I don't know how many people are familiar with this band, so hopefully this opens some new eyes and ears to what they're doing. We are all patients here by nerve. So to be truthful with you guys, coming into this week, one of the projects I was most excited to talk to you guys about was Nerve, because I believed that the singles rollout for We're All Patients Here showed a ton of promise and potential for this act. And I'm saying that having gotten into the singles rollout kind of late for this record, because there were three that I missed when they initially came out. Not the one, Hopeless and Bad Nature. I wasn't attentive to Nerve at the time of those singles getting uh, singles treatment. So then the point where I kind of came on board with Nerve was on Still Breathing. And I think the reason why I had an attachment to that track when I first heard it was because of how much it reminded me of Slaves slash Rain City Drive on to Better Days. So that got my hopes up greatly since that uh, core to Better Days sound is something that I will always champion in the scene because of just how much it means to me, how great I think it sounds when it's done well, and Nerve were doing it really, really well. And then after that, Low released. In my mind, Low is fucking generational. It is still the best song on this record after hearing everything through a couple times. It might be one of the best songs overall this year, for myself at least. Low has the exact kind of energy that I look for in an alternative rock song. It's so effortless and seamless and catchy and infectious and just the kind of song that, you know, with the right kind of backing, the right eyes on it, the right ears listening to it, that song could be major if the circumstances fell in favor of Nerve. Color Feeling has a slight R&B feel to its verses with the electronic bass instrumentation before getting into a giant sounding chorus, and I feel like at that point, I didn't have any reason to doubt the ability for Nerve to deliver on this record. Blue returns to what I said about Still Breathing's comparison to Slaves, although with some admittedly heavier moments mixed in, that can also be likened to a band such as you know, a Dayseeker per se. And then I Need Help was the final single before the album release, and I think I Need Help has this really calming yet catchy nature to it that deviates a little bit from the nerve formula, or at least what is established on World Patients here as the nerve formula, but it's really, really, really good. I, I really very much so enjoy I Need Help. But then having gotten into the rest of the material thereafter, once I had World Patients here in full in hand... I started to notice the faults when it comes to Nerve, and I don't want to say it's like exclusive to them and they did anything wrong per se. This kind of uh, falls in alignment with what I, uh, or like a trope that I tend to see alternative rock bands fall into. They have a great singles rollout, and then the album itself is still good, although some of the later songs are nowhere near the caliber of like Low or I Need Help. I think the formula really starts to suffer on some later songs like Not The One, Erase, and Blue, where the material starts to blend within itself. And what I mean by that is, with songs like Low and Color Feeling and Blue, there are these distinguishing factors. Like, I can easily identify which song is which based off of these, you know, elements that are so unique to just those songs. As you go deeper into the record, I feel like that element is lost within We're All Patients Here, and some of this stuff just kind of, you know... um, 
it doesn't command my attention as much as the singles I thought were excellent. And I want to say again, the album itself is good. I just cannot ignore how, in some ways, draining the experience started to become later on. I think those songs, the potential is there and I can hear the characteristics of Nerve still within those tracks. It's just not as fulfilling as the singles were. And, you know, I guess that's why those were singles, because those are easily, in my opinion, at least the best songs here on this record. If nothing else, this is a a great record to introduce people to Nerve. I don't think this is the record that is going to establish Nerve. I think and I hope that is still yet to come within the next few years. But um, at least right now in the timeline of Nerve, this album is good to give you a, a basic understanding of who they are. And, you know, maybe uh, some of the songs that I was not so high on, maybe, uh, you know, somebody else will really be into them. Maybe the songs that I was high on, somebody will think like, you know, I don't really know about Low, I don't really know about Blue, in which case, totally fine. You know, music is subjective. I want everybody to give Nerve a chance. Do not just go off of my word here about the record diminishing as it progresses. Maybe the material here is for you. Not all of it is for me, but that's like kind of the beauty of music. You know, you can listen to what you want to and decide how you feel about it. And then finally, one of the most anticipated records of this season and also one of the most divisive. The Classic Symptoms of a Broken Spirit by Architects. So this is the record that I believe is producing some of the most shambolic discourse of the year for the scene surrounding any piece of music related to us. And it's it's both disheartening and also understandable. I can see where the disappointment on some people's ends are coming from. But a lot of them are articulating their arguments in ways that just do not at all reciprocate what is actually happening with this record, in my opinion. And that was just a really verbose way of me saying that I believe anybody who is calling this record bad or an embarrassment or uh, a disservice to Tom, which I will get to later on because that is a subject in and of itself, anybody using any of those phrases or terms to describe the classic symptoms of a broken spirit, you're out of pocket. I genuinely believe you are. I do not think it's a great record. It's definitely my least favorite Architects record since their debut in 2006, but the way that I've been seeing people describe this record online, you would think it's like that fucking Parkway Drive album that just came out like a month ago or whatever it was. This is still inherently Architects. It's just a different sound, and it's a sound that works more often than it doesn't on this record. Like, I think anybody who didn't expect this kind of a direction following for those that wish to exist last year, I don't really know what you, um, like what your perception of trajectories are when it comes to the scene, because anytime this happens to a band, they continue to go into that direction for the most part. Remember the Horizon, you know, Sepaternal was a little bit different, and then that spirit was very different, and then Amo was completely far removed from what they had done prior. Um, of Mice and Men, you know, they had the debut and then the flood, both very heavy records, and then Restoring Force kind of showed what was going to be happening with Cold World. 
the trick is to just do the style and sound change well enough to where you are not losing any of your intangibles. And I believe with Bring Me the Horizon and Amice Men, they are examples of bands who did just that. Examples of bands who failed to capture their magic in their later work, in my opinion, Avenged Sevenfold and Asking Alexandria. I do not think any of their latter material is even close to being on par with what they were doing beforehand. Architects fits closer to Bring Me Into My Cement. I'm not saying they're doing the style change as well as them, but there's nothing here that makes me think architects are out of line or they made a mistake going into this direction. And something that has been on like a need to understand basis for the last few years of architects, and I don't really understand why there are people out there who don't get this yet. Tom was the main lyricist of the band prior to his passing, so of course there was going to be a change in direction from what they were doing prior. You know, holy hell, it made sense to still have that core architect sound or what was established beforehand as the core architect sound because it was the record where, you know, they were letting out everything that they needed to about Tom and give that space for themselves to grieve and to just have a record uh, like done in his memory per se. Everything afterwards though, yeah, it was going to sound different. You know, there's a reason why For Those That Wish To Exist sounds the way that it does. And then in turn, there's a reason why The Classic Symptoms of a Broken Spirit sounds the way that it does. So I do not at all blame the band for going into this direction. And I don't think anybody really should be. If you feel disappointed with the sound of this record, that's fine. You know, that is one thing that you are entitled to. Anybody who is saying that this record is a disservice to Tom... No, you have legitimately no room whatsoever to bring up his name as some kind of like a like a dunk on the band or, or anything like that. Nobody is entitled to a band's sound. Nobody has any space in any lane to say, oh, this band needs to sound this way. This band needs to be composing this kind of music. Like, that is just cringe as fuck, and there really should be no room in the scene for those kinds of fandoms. I do not think that there is anything wrong with the way that this album sounds. I have never been of that mindset. You know, even when the lead single, When We Were Young, dropped back in, I think it was April, I saw a lot of really nasty discourse about that track before I heard it. And I didn't at all believe anything that I was seeing. Like, I didn't think I was going to dislike the song. In my head, I'm like, okay, I think people are just kind of overreacting and acting out of line. And you know what? In my opinion, I was right. I don't find anything wrong with how When We Were Young sounds. I think that song is great, to be honest. And I was still of that mindset going into some of the singles thereafter, like Tear Gas and Deep Fake, especially Deep Fake. So that is the opening song on this record. You probably couldn't have come up with a better way to start the record at all, honestly. Deep Fake is fucking incredible. I love the pacing of it. I think the chorus is explosive, and Sam sounds as good as he ever has. He is one of the strongest points of this whole album. I think Sam, he is a phenomenal vocalist. He's really come a long way. He's been able to develop a clean singing style that fits right in alignment with where he is at with his screams. Like, he does not lose any bit of passion or believability in his tone on this record. Sam still sounds like a masterclass vocalist. 
I do believe, however, that if there is a justifiable gripe with the vocal performance on this record, it would come from the lyrical matter that Sam is singing about. And, you know, I just explained the reason for the change in lyrical direction, so I'm not going to get into it further. But I, I did just want to at least point it out because it was something that I noticed and I couldn't really shake off. Um, for example, Living is Killing Us, the chorus on it. We fell in love with a death machine. Too much will never be enough. Push comes to shove, but it's heresy just to be. Living is killing us. It's not the best. It's not great. It's not a big hindrance to my enjoyment for the album, but again, I did want to at least point out something that I thought was a little bit of a lacking area for this record. I do want to also say that there is a song on here. It is called Burn Down My House. That does fall into... Um, like a very low ranking tier for architects discography in my opinion there's just something about the pacing of it and how slow it is while still trying to be heavy and it just feels like this big contradiction of a song that didn't really do much for me i don't think it's a bad song per se but it's just not at all where i know architects can be from not only their past material but also some of the material present on this album like, in my opinion, the back half of this record easily supersedes the first half of it. Um, and that would begin with the stretch from When We Were Young, which I already described as being, in my opinion, a great song that was the right choice for a lead single. And then from there, you get into Doom Scrolling. And in my opinion, Doom Scrolling has one of the biggest choruses this band has ever put out. It just has that, like, really infectious and catchy groove to it that is so hard for me to try and remove it from my brain. Um, Born Again Pessimist is ferocious and has the kind of energy that even while it's not overtly heavy, I think it can be a great and, um, like, uh, effective headbanging song to be in a live setting for. Like, this track would probably go fucking hard as part of a set list for Architects. Um, A New More Low Ground has this cool contrast between these quiet, like, space atmosphere sounding verses and then the choruses that carry almost anime energy within them all the love in the world is a great example of how to embody metalcore in a track that is in the realm of alternative rock like to kind of go back to bring me the horizon as like a, a point of reference all the love in the world sounds like a marriage between Sepaternal and that spirit and i absolutely fucking adore that kind of a direction for architects and while those are all major strong suits for the album the closing song, Be Very Afraid, it's a good song, but it does not have the kind of like emphatic and impactful nature going for it that I would have preferred the closing song for an Architects record to embark on. And, you know, maybe Memento Mori being the closer for All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us set these high expectations for Architects closers, but in all honesty, I think that they've met those expectations ever since then, because A Wasted Him is fucking amazing, and it might have taken like a minute or so for me to be sold on Dying is Absolutely Safe, but that song is just mesmerizing, in my opinion. It'd be Very Afraid just doesn't have that, and, you know, it is what it is, but it is an area that I wish I could be more positive on for this album. But coming out of the classic symptoms of a broken spirit, I don't hear a band that sounds lost or like as if they're at a crossroads of their career. I hear a band that knows who they are and they're just trying to expand on that sound. A lot of it works and some minor parts of it do not in my opinion. But again, I feel like a lot of people online are just 
really out of line and out of pocket and overreacting to this record in a massive way. I saw a tweet last week comparing Architects Now to Nickelback. That's just, you're just baiting at that point. Like, there's, there, there's no sentiment whatsoever to that. And it's just really pitiful, in my opinion, to see so many people act like fucking children over this album sounding the way that it does. To me, there's nothing wrong with the way the record sounds. There are some areas that could have been improved from a lyrical standpoint or a structural standpoint, but the overall sound of Architects right now on this album, it's fine. Genuinely, it's fucking fine. And that's it. That was every album and EP and single from last week for me to review. Um, this episode was being uploaded incredibly late because I had hiccups when I was nearing the end of the recording process last night, so I had to hold off on finishing until that passed because I can't be acting like a fish in front of the bad bitches. Again, everyone, I really do appreciate the support from everyone, whether it be over Twitter or Instagram or Discord or whatever else. It genuinely does mean a lot to me, and I just ask for... Continued support as this podcast heads into the year-end festivities in December with the episodes ranking the top 100 songs and top 50 records of the year. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of work on my end for sure, but still fun, definitely. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene. Let's make a scene.